So this morning we finish up our sermon series, Rescuing Revelation, and we're going to be talking specifically about Revelation chapter 21, whenever a new heaven and a new earth is presented uh, by Jesus. And so we've covered a lot over these last several weeks. We've talked about the seven churches that the letter of Revelation is written to and how they are a part of what's going on under Roman persecution, under, under Domitian, who is the emperor at the time. They are being systematically hunted, arrested, tortured, and killed for their faith because they do not pledge allegiance to Caesar at the time. And how John, who has been exiled to this island of Patmos, is writing this letter as one of encouragement to them so that they can be faithful to, to what God and who God has called them to be, even under the most difficult of circumstances. So we've talked about what it's meant to, to bring our full self in our relationship with God. We've talked about what it's meant to understand what it means to be faithful and to be present, even in the midst of difficult times, and to engage life. not just to passively live it and survive it. And this morning we're going to talk about what that vision of a new heaven and a new earth can mean to us as people of faith, other than a prize that we wait for, but a reality that we get to live into. So if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read the first eight verses. And again, this is John writing about this revelation that Jesus is giving him. And so John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, all is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God and they will be my sons and daughters. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the vile, the murderers, those who commit sexual immorality, those who use use drugs and cast spells, the idolaters and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come this morning, to be in your presence, God. Your word gives us a picture, a foretaste of what it will be when you come in your glory and God all is made new. Give us the wisdom and the courage, God, to live today in these in-between times. To not live by fear, but by faith. To not live by anxiety, but to trust in you. To not live in anger and frustration, but to bring peace and mercy so that all may have a foretaste of what is to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, when I was reading this passage uh, and thinking about God making all things new, a quote came to my mind, and it was a quote that I had read a long, long time ago by Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs says, No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to have to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention in life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Now, to think about our mortality is is threatening and fearful. To think that God would make space for new to rise as our lives would pass away is difficult to think and to comprehend and to wrap our minds around. But what that also means is that God makes place on earth and receives us into heaven. And what it means in life every day is that God is calling us to allow the old things in our lives to pass away so that the new things that God wants for us can grow up within us. So that if we don't allow things to change, if we don't allow the old to pass away, if we don't allow it to fall away and we hold on to it, then we never have space for the new to come. That's one of the reasons I challenge you over and over again that our faith isn't about having a better version of the life that we already have. It is about allowing God to do something that we cannot imagine. And we talked about it specifically last week and how God and life, whenever life gets tough and life puts pressure on us, what comes out of us is what we focus on, dwell on, and allow to develop within us. And you remember the story I told you I, last week, for those of you who weren't here, I, um, I had left my apartment to come down to the church, and I had gotten into a hurry that morning. I had forgotten whether I had cut the stove off. And I'd gotten a mile from the church, and I had to make a decision of whether I was going to go back or not. Now, I had to tell you, I cut, the stove was off. Because I didn't tell you all that, and I had people coming up after service going, Pastor, what happened? Was it off or on? We needed closure. It was off. So I'm sorry you had to go a whole week without knowing. But I went back, and the whole time I went back, I was beating myself up. I was just, had all this stuff. I was frustrated. I was tired. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but some of the worst words that I can use when I talk to myself is always and never. I always do stuff like that. I never remember. And if you're a person that uses always and never in your conversations with yourself, you know those aren't helpful, and they're not good for you. And they're especially not good when you use them with other people. Like you always, and you know what? You never, those are unfair words because there's no escape from them. And I was using those a whole lot last week. And whenever I was, I'd gotten to the apartment, I looked in, everything was off. Thank you, Jesus. And so I drove back. And as I was driving back, I had spent 20 minutes beating myself up and giving myself a hard time. And I remember saying to myself, I really hope nobody comes up to me this morning first thing until I have a second to, to decompress. Because I knew that if someone would have come up to me or a situation would have occurred, I had filled myself with all that frustration and upsetness and resentment. And I surely would have poured that out on somebody. Anybody ever done that? You had someone, you poured out something on somebody that really wasn't theirs, but you had, you had been storing it up. And so this morning, 
I, I thought about that for a minute, and I went to the grocery store, um, and I, you know, I saw, I, I saw some of our church people there. It was nice. I didn't know that you could go grocery shopping on a Sunday morning, but I've only heard. But as I went, um, I, it was because I thought about my grandmother. My grandmother used to make juices. And, and I thought about that whole thing about what we fill ourselves with. Because my, my grandmother would make orange juice and fresh tomato juice. And as I would think about what my grandmother would do, you know, she would, she would take them and she would prepare the juices. And, and it really kind of struck me. And, and I know this is something y'all already get, but I'm, I'm the slow one in the group today. I, I thought, you know, you can't squeeze an orange and think you're going to get tomato juice out of it, right? And if you want to make orange juice, you can't take a tomato and try to squeeze and make orange juice out of it because a tomato is a tomato and an orange is an orange. You know, if, if you're someone that struggles with anger, it's going to be hard for, for you to live in life and when life puts pressure on you not to, not to bring that anger into what you do. If you're a person that lives in fear and anxiety, it's going to be hard when life presses on you for you to bring more to the situation than fear and anxiety. If you're a person that struggles with shame and, and, and struggles with inadequacy and unworthiness, then when you come to situations in which life puts pressure on you, it's going to be hard for you to bring more to the situation than your own shame and anxiety. And when we think about what God wants to do for us, God doesn't want to leave us just the way we are. God wants to make all things new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says it like this. He says, beginning in 16, he says, So then from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards, even though we used to know Christ by human standards. That isn't how we know him anymore. So then if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. You know, if you want something new to happen in your life, we come to this relationship with Jesus so that instead of fear, Jesus can, can help and, and provide faith. Instead of, of anxiety and shame, God can bring courage and acceptance. Instead of anger, God can bring peace and compassion. There is a healing message that God gives each of us in our relationship with him. And when we allow that message to sink into us, then God makes what, what is within us new again and new things rise we don't live by fear we don't lash out in anger we don't shame people because we were used to being shamed god does all things new we don't come to church for ritual and what we always do we come so that god will allow the old to fall away and so that the new will rise up when we look at that, it's not just in our lives. We look at the world today. We live in a world where families are separated. We live in a world in which violence plays itself out. And we're caught in this loop of habitual behavior and patterns. And there's nothing new that's coming. No one is offering any new ideas. No one is offering any new way of thinking about the world. We just hear the same things over and over and over and over. And I think what Jesus says is this is when God's people need to step up. 
This is when we need to engage. This is whenever we live out into the world what God has called us to do. Because right now, more than anything, this is when people need to see what a new life can look like, what a new creation could look like, what new relationships could look like. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love one another. My, my basic concern in the world today isn't that we need another political platform. My basic concern in the world today is that the ones who have experienced and have the opportunity to know the life-changing, world-transforming love of God are missing out on the deepest part of what God offers us. And therefore, the world misses out on it. In Revelation chapter 21, in the first two verses, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, I have the chance to do a lot of ceremonies and a lot of weddings. And, and what I love to do is, as the officiate in the, in the ceremony is, is whenever I'm standing up in the front, I love to have the groom stand and to face me until the bride is prepared and ready at the back. And, and I do that for two reasons. One, it makes the groom anxious and builds some anticipation. You know, now that people record everything, I really can't look at him. So I kind of cut my eyes. And every once in a while, you'll see a bead of sweat come down the groom's face. Because he's anxious. He doesn't know what it's going to be when he turns around. And, he's, and, and you know, he's just concerned. And, and most of the time he's concerned that he gives the right facial expression. So the bride won't remember that whenever she talks to him after the service and said, why weren't you happy to see me? And so she'll start down the aisle and you'll see that as she grows closer and as the two come to that point of meeting, that the smile will grow, that there'll be an emotional connection. The longing comes to fruition. The anxiety begins to fall and usually tears fall at some point. And then they, they take hands and then they turn and it's almost as if a breath takes place. And they settle into that moment. You know, one of the reasons we live the way we do as Christians is because we live in the anticipation of the day in which Jesus makes all things new. But until that day, we live in that hope. We live in this moment. We have the opportunity to give a foretaste of what that could look like. And we live knowing that one day we're going to join hands and God is going to make all things new. And we're going to be able to take a breath and live in a moment that we've never experienced before. But until then, we're called to go out into the world and to share that good news with the people around us. Now, the hardest part is, is that for the most of human history, no one has really wanted God. Nobody has really wanted to God to be a part. We want to talk about God. We want to sing about God. We want to pray about God. And I'll even preach about God. But now making God the center of our life, that's hard. Giving God space in our life, that's hard stuff. Because we have already been trained and conditioned to how to live as the world lives. If you want any if you want any idea of it, just look in the book of 1 Samuel when Jesus wants to, when God wants to tabernacle with his people in verse 5. He said, they said to him, listen, you are old now and your sons don't follow in your footsteps. So appoint us a king to judge us like all the other nations. And in verse 7, he goes, the Lord answered Samuel, comply with the people's request. Everything they ask of you because they haven't rejected you. No, they've rejected me as king over them. 
You know, that's the thing. We want to believe that a president can save us. We want to believe that a political party can lead us to a new heaven and a new earth. We want to believe that there's economic systems that can provide the equality and the sense of, of abundance that we want. But the truth of the matter is there is no political official that can do that. There is no political pat platform that is sufficient. There is no economic substructure that can give us the abundance that only God can when we place God at the center. And until we're willing to own that, it's so hard for us to get anywhere else in life and anywhere else in moments as tragic and as painful and as hard as the world in which we live today. Verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. Will you this morning really allow God to come into your life? Will you really allow your faith in God to become the centerpiece of your life? God wants to be your God. And he, he has already created you to be his son and his daughter. Richard Foster, who is a theologian and um, an ethicist, in Christian ethicist in ways in which he talks about spiritual disciplines, says that, that there are three great, there's, there's a great struggle for people to find belonging in the world today. And he said there are three Ps that go into that. And I think I want to speak these to you this morning briefly. He said the first one is provision. That for people to feel like they belong, they feel like they have needs that are being provided for. That they, they're, they, they do not, that's basic hierarchy of needs, right? That they have food and shelter and clothing and all of those types of things. And I, the reason I bring that up to you is because I still am I'm in confounded by the fact that we live in the richest nation in the world and there are still people that go hungry every day that I have more food that I will ever eat and I can buy food and, and I have more options than anybody else. There are people in our country that go, that go hungry every day and, and I can't live under the illusion that it's their fault because I'm, I'm not sure that's really true either. He says you have to provide provision for people. The second thing is, is you have to provide a place for people, a mutually agreed upon place. And that's really important because if you look at all the major struggles we have right now in our country and in our world and even in our community, it's because there's not a mutually agreed upon place for people. You know, whenever I think about our community, I, I lived in Prosper for a couple of years and pastored there. And there were three sets of people that lived in that community. There were those that had moved to that community 10 years prior so that they, they could buy large tracts of land. The schools were small and that there was a chance for them to live out that life on multiple acreage. There were those that had moved out five years before that had acre lots and the schools were still small so that their kids could find a place on the sports teams and the academic teams and they wanted their kids to be out and be a part of that. And there were those that had just moved out there and they had moved out there for the schools. They had moved out there because that was the place to be. And what was amazing is that whether it was on the city council or in the churches or on the school board, those three visions of the community were, were fighting one another for who was going to win. And you would have people that had moved out there like two years earlier complaining about the new people that were then moving into the community. And I was like, weren't you, didn't you just, like you just moved here two years ago. And they were like, but that's not us. I don't know why they, 
I don't know why they keep coming out here. Because you came out here. Mutually agreed upon places. When you look at the border and you see what's happening, we have people that are struggling to find a place, but it's not mutually agreed upon. So there's conflict there. When you look in our society, when we think about all the people that are trying to find a place to fit in, there's no mutually agreed upon place, and so there's conflict around that. So he says, provision is important, place is important, and personality. That everyone needs to be loved for who they are and who they were created to be. In just a few moments, we're going to come up and take communion. And what I want to offer you this morning is the idea that what Jesus does for us in Holy Communion is to remind us that he gives us provision every day. Every day we have our daily bread to do and to deal with whatever we need to in life, and God gives that to us. That, that at the communion table, at this holy table, all of us have a place. That's what I love about the United Methodist Church. I can't turn any of you away. It's an open table. All of God's children are welcome, and all of God's children have a place at the table. Even if you're not sure that you're a child of God yet, in your own mind, God has already consecrated you a son or a daughter. So you have a place. And that regardless of who you are, God cannot love you anymore and refuses to love you any less. I think that's the prophetic message and the struggle of our world today. Provision, place, and personality. And my hope and my prayer today for you is that as you come forward today, you will know that God has provided for you, that God has created a place for you, and that God loves you just the way you are. And that that same experience and love and witness is what we carry out into the world. Because there's a lot of people that don't feel like they have enough to live off of. There's a lot of people that live, li live life don't feeling like they really have a place right now. And there's a lot of people who aren't sure that they like who they are. And they surely don't believe that other people like and love them for who they are. Those are healing messages today. Let us pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, for the opportunity to come to hear your word and to remember, God, that you, you provide for us. You give us our daily bread each and every day. That regardless of what's going on in our lives, God, there is a place for us at this table. That no matter how hard we are on ourselves, no matter how hopeless we feel, no matter how uncertain or angry or resentful or unforgiving we may have in our own hearts, God, you do not turn us away because your love is present at this table. And God, thank you, Lord, that for no matter who and what we think we may or may not be, God, your love is sufficient. And it is your love that calls us and invites us to this place. You cannot love us anymore, and you refuse to love us any less. Meet us at this table, God. In Jesus' name, amen.